And when you are on your deathbed and you're looking back at your life, what is it that you're going to, that you're so grateful for and what are you gonna be regretful of? Using that to steer the direction of your life now is a really powerful way to navigate the infinite number of possibilities that we have. It's beginning with the end in mind. The future is in front of us and we can't change the past, but we can change the future. And for us to create that really strong relationship with ourselves, understanding who we want to be, what is that thing we want to do? Hello and welcome to another episode of Chasing Excellence. My name is Patrick Cummings. As always, I'm here with Ben Bergeron. Every week on the show, we dedicate some time to exploring how we can live a life of better health and increased fulfillment. We answer your questions about the five factors of health, dive deep on living a life of excellence, and explore the strategies and frameworks to help us chase what truly matters. Thank you so much for joining us this week. How are you, Ben? I'm doing great. Thank you, Patrick. Good, my man. We have this episode, some listener questions about how to best balance running and CrossFit, whether we think ignoring the news or current events leaves us unable to change things that need changing, and building a better relationship with oneself. Our workout this week will be a conversation about that time that you went to prison. I'm just going to leave it at that, and then we'll <laughs> wrap it up uh, with a round of our recommendations where we'll just chat about whatever books, podcasts, activities we have been enjoying Ready to get into the warm-up? Let's go. We start every episode with listener questions about the five factors of health, those few fundamental behaviors that most positively affect our performance, vitality, and longevity. Those five factors are how we eat, how we move, how we think, connect, and how we recover. First question is in our move category today. It says, I'm 42, compete in smaller CrossFit competitions and train six days a week. I'm trying a variety of running strength and CrossFit. How much running is too much? When will my CrossFit performance become worse due to running? Can a CrossFit athlete run too much? Uh, the answer is yes, a CrossFit athlete can run too much. And the, I think the question before that one was, how do I know when I am yeah, running too much? How much running is too much? When will, it, when when your, will my CrossFit performance? Yeah, yeah. When, when your CrossFit performance decreases. There you go. Now, that's, that's not the snide, snarky <laughs> it's answer. It's not a cop-out answer. <laughs> but that is, I mean, once you say it out loud, that's kind of obvious that that becomes the, the reality. Now, with that said, running in addition to doing a normal CrossFit, quote-unquote, CrossFit training program um, can be crazy, hugely beneficial, but it also depends on the training history and where the athlete is coming from. So... If the athlete has never done running, um, run training before, it can be really better. It's, it's essentially what we're talking about here is like training your weaknesses. And when people add that aerobic base to a CrossFit training program, there can be huge, huge gains. Now, obviously, there's a lot of different levels of like how this goes. Some of our games athletes run 10 miles at a time, a couple times a week. That's That can be... Um, inside of training program, but also recognize that these people are just, they're dedicating their lives to training and recovery. What does it look like for a normal human being like yourself or me um, or this person uh, who I think he said is 42 and entering into some local competitions? Correct. So that person is usually training for 60 to 90 minutes a day. I would just say that they're taking a class and maybe they're doing a little bit of something extra. What should that look like? Having knowing you know, knowing nothing else about the individual, that to me would be go for a run or two a week of about two to three miles 
And then on the weekend, add in a longer one, um, potentially upwards of four to six miles. I don't think you need to go much more than six miles. Six miles for most of us is going to be somewhere in that 40 to 45 minute range. That's where you're really tapping into the aerobic system enough that you're not just hitting it and getting there and getting out of it like you would say in a 5K. So that to me is where if, if you can get, maybe this is said another way in a more powerful way. If you can get to the point where you can run five miles comfortably, I don't think you need to add any additional running into your program. If running five miles is a, a real challenge where you feel really uncomfortable and you really don't know how to pace it, I think adding running into a CrossFit program up to that point is very, very beneficial. Isn't it true that the most programmed workout in the history of CrossFit.com was the 5K? Is that, am I making it that? Was, that kind of like it was ago? as of uh, about six years ago. That's the last time I started, Got I stopped it. really doing the deep dive research into main site. But yeah, six years ago, the most common programmed workout that showed up on the daily workout of the day was run 5K. All right, our next question is in our think category. It is from Maddie. She says, I know that listening to the news and putting too much attention on it is not the greatest. We know nowadays that it is mostly entertainment and it's something outside of our control. However, I believe that knowledge is a way that we can do something about certain situations. If you don't know about it, how can you do something to change it? And what about voting? If you're not educated about politics, how can you vote properly? Isn't that something we can control? Yeah, I love that, Maddie. Absolutely. Um, you said a lot of cool things in that question. Uh, the recognition that news is mostly entertainment. Um, focusing on things outside of our control, it can be the detriment to our health, well-being, and fulfillment. Um, but we also want to be educated and know where we can make change, influence, and what about educating ourselves in terms of voting. Okay, awesome. Let's take this like piece by piece. News is entertainment, but we want to be educated. Great. Don't use the news to get educated. If you want to get educated, educate yourself, but don't allow someone else with a bias, with an agenda to tell you what to think. You should do all of the research yourself and it should not come through news outlets. It should be something that you are figuring out where you want to focus your energy and attention. If that's politics and who to vote for, if it's um, the, the crisis is going on around the world, great. Let's make sure that you're getting that information from, quote, clean sources, not people that are trying to push their agendas on you and or sensationalize things because what they're really looking for is not to educate you, but to boost their ratings so they can get more and add dollars. That's the biggest thing that they're actually looking for. I think there's a, a couple of things in there worth picking apart or worth understanding, which is like, what is the difference? Or can I see it? Can I tell the difference between the news, between entertainment, between opinion and between propaganda? And all of those things tend to in the environment, the media environment we live in, they all tend to look like the same mm -hmm. thing often. And they often tend to say that there's something else, even if they're actually right. one of, you know, one of the other things. And so recognizing that those four things, news, opinion, entertainment, and propaganda can feel very similar, but are often aimed toward different goals. Is this leading me to action? A lot of times it's not. A lot of times it's leading me to more of the same. A lot of times the news leads me to more news. 
social media leads me to more social media. It's not actually leading me to action. It's not actually leading me to what Maddie's asking here, which is like, is this actually informing me? Oftentimes it's not. Oftentimes it is uh, satisfying us. It's not educating us, right? And so recognizing if this isn't help leading me to action, it's probably not useful. And there probably is something that could lead me to action if it's not this. Yeah, I think that's a great litmus test of um, what am, why am I consuming this information? We don't know what we don't know. So we have to open our doors and allow messages to come in. But we don't want to just open the doors and let a storm come in. And that's the difference. We want to make sure that the right breeze is coming in so we can absorb it and learn from it and then potentially dive down that rabbit hole if we so choose. But if you just go into it, thinking it's news and it's actually entertainment, which means it's going to lead to more of it, just the consumption for consumption's sake, we're probably following the wrong news outlet. Yeah, I think what you just said, though, is really important, which is where you, you implied it, which is like, go in with a purpose. What are you actually trying to figure out here? What are you oftentimes, especially with news, we let it just sort of wash over us, right? To, yeah. to your metaphor, we just kind of let it hit us in the face. And then we're like, Oh, well, that's helpful, I guess it's news, it's helpful. Whereas instead, if you go and say, I'm going to, I'm looking for an answer to this particular question and I'm going to go out and seek answers to that question. It's a lot different than standing and saying, well, let's see what hits me. Let's see what shows up. Yeah. The, the two things are there is like the political one she talked about in terms of voting. Like I'm, I don't want to get my decisions on who I'm supposed to vote for from um, CNN or Fox. I know what they're going to tell me to do. It's that makes no sense. I want to make sure I'm getting it from sources that I trust. And I'm going to do my own research on figuring out what that is shortcut. The way I do that is I ask people that I feel like have similar values to me and ask them who and why. And that's really the way that I go about doing that. Um, because I don't want to get distracted by that thing because it leads to the second thing of that, which is outside of our control. And we really want to make sure we're focusing on the things that we are can influence. This is a very, it's very easy to say, it's very challenging to do. And it is, you know, grant me the serenity to understand that there are only certain things that I can control and let me focus on those things and do the best that I can to let the other ones just brush off my shoulders. Because what happens is those are the things that weigh us down. And if we can eliminate the things that are weighing us down, we become lighter. And if we become lighter, we become more impactful. And we can do more things and not get rattled or um, pushed into things that we don't want to be doing. All right, last question we've got is from Erica. It's in our Connect Bucket. She says, I'm 25 and going through a divorce with someone I've been with since I was 18. It's a good thing, but definitely still grieving. I find myself for the first time in my life living for myself. I'm figuring out who I am, what I actually want, and that my happiness and fulfillment is worth the effort. It's been difficult to build meaningful relationships when I don't necessarily have a good relationship with myself after spending so many years focused only on being who everyone else wants me to be. Mm. I would love to get your guys input on building one's relationship with oneself. Great question. And the, the recognition that she is having a hard time building relationships with other people because she doesn't have a good one with herself because she's spent so much time trying to be something else for someone else. So um, this is a, a, a great ex a great exercise and you know maybe the, the the short but long answer to that is listen to the last 300 episodes we've done 
because this is kind of what this is kind of what this entire conversation has been about for the last I don't even know six years. How long have we done years, yeah. five or six years? Which is, you know, we say at the beginning of our show, but it's essentially make sure that we're putting our efforts in the right place to to chase fulfillment, to chase that thing of, you know, most people call it happiness, but happiness is so associated with pleasure that I don't think that that's the right thing we should be chasing because it can lead us astray. You know, um, I think that we really want to figure out what are the things that are going to make us in the long term quote, joyful, happy, um, at, at peace. And I, that's what I, those are the words I use to, you know, I surmise that with fulfillment. I think there's a few different exercises to go through, some of which we've talked about at length, but the shorthand answer to this is visualization. And visualization can be done one of two ways. And the first one, which we talked a lot about, is the deathbed visualization. And when you are on your deathbed, and you're looking back at your life, what is it that you're going to have for, that you're so grateful for and what are you gonna be regretful of? Using that to steer the direction of your life now is a really powerful way to navigate the infinite number of possibilities that we have. It's beginning with the end in mind. Now that can be weird or scary. Other people talk about doing like the eulogy thing in terms of like, what do you want people to say about you at your funeral? Yeah, or write your own obituary. Write same, your own obituary. Same. All of these types of things of like this be this is the beginning of creating the relationship with yourself because as much as it is like if you go to a therapist, they're gonna do the opposite, which is like tell me about the history that you had with your parents and how'd you grow up and tell me about the abuses and the traumas and the the neglect or anything that might be like bumbling under the surface. Well, that's in the past. It's it's gone, like it's there. The future is in front of us. And we can't change the past, but we can change the future. And if you realize that you want to be the type of person that dot, 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 then you can start to do the person that dot, dot, dot. That's a really powerful way to walk through this life. And for us to create that really strong relationship with ourselves, understanding who we want to be at the end, same thing if we were starting a business, begin with the end in mind, what is that thing we want to do? That can be really challenging for a lot of people in terms of the deathbed thing. It's so far away, decades and decades and decades, and it's so abstract. Another powerful but tangible way to do this would be imagine you hear a knock at your front door, you open the door, and it's you five years from now. And you're like, holy crap, it's me. And the five you look years, amazing. yeah, <laughs> the five years from now, you says, Patrick, do this tomorrow. Like, what is that thing? What is that thing? Five years from now, would tell you to do today, tomorrow, or that you should accomplish in the next week. And that could be a really powerful way to create perspective in your life instead of the immediacy and the urgency and the momentum and the biases and the paradigms that we have that we're navigating life through, which essentially creates an autopilot program. This busts you out of the program and goes from a higher level, looking down upon the whole thing five years from now or 50 years from now, what are the things that I actually should be doing? Not There's no sacred cows and no legacy that needs to be with that needs to be continued forward from where we are right now. That's a great way for you to understand 
what you like, you want your life to stand for, who you want to become. And then from there, you do the second thing, which is create a set of values. And values are this weird thing that overused in the business lexicon that they've kind of lost their meaning essentially. But values are nothing more than uh, an, an agreed, if it's a, for a business, it's an agreed upon, but it's what do I think is important? What do I value? And when you understand that and you take and make them spend the time to really work on the words, like you're, maybe you start off with like, I really value being in nature, being healthy and um, my family. Cool. Okay. Now that you have those, can you take those and make them, you know, like how we do here all the time? Can you turn that into an acronym? Can you turn it into an alliteration? Can you turn it into a really snazzy sentence? Like, can you turn it into something that like is really a mantra, really something that you're going to use, remember, and dictate your life. So we've used humble, hungry, happy. We've used live, love, learn, lead, and um, and so on. We've used uh, create a family of humble, hungry, happy people who kick ass in their 90s. We've used um, ACE, like accountability, um, uh, uh, caring, and excellence. We've used, there's, what is that thing that's going to be the thing that pushes you? You know, we've done our five Ps. But once you create those two things, this is who I want to be in five years or 50 years. And these are the things that I really, really value. Well, then you're, it's the beginning of really understanding yourself and understanding yourself is the beginning of a good relationship with yourself. I love that. I'm going to, I'm going to, this is really funny that you said that. So right here on my wall. I have two things and it's the only two things I have on my wall right in front of me. So I, I literally stare at it all day. It's RRWRR, which stands for read, uh, read, record, write, relate, and rest. Hmm. Those are my values. Hmm. And then the, the new one that I have as my reminder is run toward it, mm. which I is my reminder to not move away from the things I should be moving towards. And so that. I literally put them on the, on my wall. I, I just thought that was funny that you mentioned that because we're not, we don't just talk about it here. Yeah. <laughs> we actually do that. And then the second thing is really interesting talking about values because one of the things I was thinking about with this question is actually, and I don't think this is contradicting you. This is just maybe the way I would, I think about it. Or I look at it is you're talking about the looking forward and not looking backwards or not looking behind in the past. But I actually think that it's, it's a really valuable exercise to sit down, especially in, in maybe the case of Erica where she's young she's still trying to figure out kind of navigate the where she's trying to get to. One thing that I found really valuable is to look back on my life and say, where are the times or what are the contexts in which I find I feel like I was at my best, where I had that feeling in, in my stomach, when it was done thinking that was time well spent. I want to, I want to feel this more. I want to be here more and really try to get a sense of the two, three, five, ten different times in your life. And maybe with Erica, she's 25, maybe it'll be two, three, four, whatever, where that feeling is the memory that you have. And then try to figure out what are the through lines between those moments. I was in this kind of context. I was with these kinds of people. I was doing that sort of thing and start to try to figure out like, Oh, I never really connected it, but it's that thing, that moment 
is awfully similar to that moment. And they were three years apart and they didn't feel connected in any way. But when I really look at them, I recognize I was kind of doing this thing in both and start to be able to say, okay, if those are the moments that have created the feelings of fulfillment in my life, now looking ahead, what do I need to do to put myself in the right environment, to put myself in the right context, to put myself in the, around the right people? What do I need to be doing such that I might feel that more often and with more intention? And it's hard, but that can start to become the roadmap in which you start to move yourself down and towards. Love that. I, so you pulled something off your wall. Mm -hmm. I have something on my phone, which nice. I call a happy list. Ooh, give it to me or not the whole thing, but tell this me about is, it. I'll, I'll give you the whole thing. Cause I, I, I think, say, but I, th I think long. it's worth, I like when people give me specifics. Yeah. I like when I'm in a seminar instead of people going like, um, so here's how you create a mission statement and they tell you how I want just give me 30 mission statements. That's it's so much more powerful to me. I'll give you the whole list. And I made this, uh, this is October 2nd, 2021, but it's always it happiness list. The happy list. The happy list. Happy list. Okay, cool. Got it. Working out. Envisioning the future and dreaming. Discovering revelations and learning. Sharing ideas. Building things. Skiing. Being on the water. Laughing with family. Helping kids grow. Good conversations. Coaching. Building athletes. Working on business plans. Planning. Self-analysis. Winning, getting results, reading, self-development, traveling with Heather, sailing, sunshine, early quiet mornings, being on a team that clicks, snuggling with kids and Heather, coming home after travel, Magansett, that's the town we live on on Cape Cod in the summer, yep. kids behaving well, proud parent moments, not rushed, completely prepared, watering the yard, gardening, <laughs> yard work in nice weather. I love like being in the backyard with a hose. I was just talking it's to such my dad, a dad about that. Th it's such a d I, weird dad thing. I feel my like- My dad said the same thing. I was oh like, yeah, God. you're right. <laughs> it's so, you know what's so funny is Cole used to make, I used to do like FaceTimes with Cole. Yeah. When we were talking about like coaching and stuff like that. And I'd be in the backyard watering the grass. Like, and yeah. you know, I should be in like slippers and a robe. <laughs> And then fast forward two years later, he's a dad now. He does it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He does it now. And he's in the garden. He's watering things. And it's a weird thing that happens when you become a dad. I love what you said at the end there. Um, I think it was never rushed and always prepared. I think there were, there were two different yeah. things, but they were on top they, of each other. It was actually just... a slash. A few of those were slashes. Okay, perfect. Yep. I love that. That was really cool. Uh, yep. um, never rushed, always prepared. I love that. That was really cool. I'm glad we shared that. That was really nice. Uh, hopefully, Erica, you, uh, you got some value out of that. Uh, if you would like to get a question in a future episode, find me on Instagram, P.S. Cummings. Drop me a DM. I'll add it to our list. We're going to be back in just a minute uh, to talk about when you went to prison. But first, <laughs> but first, a word from one of our sponsors this week, Element. Are you looking for a tasty and healthy way to replenish your electrolytes? Look no further then Element. Head to drinklmnt.com slash excellence to learn more about the science-backed electrolyte drink mix with everything you need and nothing you do not. Talk to us a little bit about Element, my man. I do supplements, um, but I don't know. I don't do a lot of like potions, powders, like that type of thing. Um, 
And this is one that I do. I was like, I shake it up and I do it. It's um, my kids do it. And one of the weird things is we forever have been in this like weird place where we blame salt for sugar's mistakes. It's like the high blood pressure thing. Like don't have salt. Don't, it's like one of those misnomers forever. And it's, it's, it's hard to pull the consensus back on that. But um, this can actually help lower your either processed carbohydrate intake or sugar intake because it's so satisfying. And just in general, like water, water and hydration is so powerful. And one of the things that can happen is if you increase water too much, you can get hypernatremia, which is like you're, you're basically like flooding your, your organs. And salt is the thing that you need to make it absorb and do the things it's supposed to do. Don't just take our word for it. Element is used by everyone from the NBA, NFL, and NHL players, Olympic athletes, Navy SEALs, everyday moms and dads. So right now, Element is offering our listeners a free sample pack with any purchase. That's eight single serving packs for free with any Element order. Get yours at drinkelement.com slash excellence. Deal is only available through that link. You must go to D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T.com slash excellence. Element offers no questions asked. Refunds, though you will, I promise you, not use it. All right, let us dive into our workout this here week. I've joked twice now, but I literally don't know anything about this. What happened when you went to prison? Uh, so I, <laughs> I didn't get sentenced to prison. I went and visited. So give me the whole story because yeah. I, I honestly really don't know anything about this. A handful of years ago, I got a letter, um, much like we do from our listeners, which is phenomenal, um, but got a letter from an inmate at a correctional facility in Colorado saying – You've had a huge impact on my life. Um, I've read your books. I've started a CrossFit inside of a prison. Um, would you um, be up for writing back? And that's what it started as. And it took a long time for me to um, – I, I looked the guy up and um, saw what he did, which was pretty horrific. Um, it took me a long time to – to decide to write back. And the deciding thing was that I talked to Heather mm. and I was like, um, you know, this guy reached out, dot, dot, dot. Here's his story. Um, here's what he's doing. And she, she's like, well, you got to write him. You got to write him back. And I was kind of like, wow, that's a very quick response. And she's like, you have to, like, of course you're going to write him back. You always talk about helping the people that are raising their hand saying, you know, I'd, I'd like help. And she was spot on. This person, I was judging him for what he had done, not who he was. And, you know, fast forward through the story a lot, but basically we started writing back and forth, pen pal, like handwritten notes. It takes a while to get, so I would get, maybe every couple of months, I get a letter and then I would send um, something to him or it eventually became, I would email his wife. His wife would print it up and bring it in and show him what I responded. And then um, it got to the point where we started, I started really learning about what he had done in the prison system. He's in a maximum security prison. Um, he's in for life. Um, he's never getting out. And I start, he started asking me a lot of business mentorship like questions like here's what I'm doing in terms of 
um, hiring for my coaches inside because he runs a CrossFit facility inside of the prison. And here's the onboarding process. Here's what we're doing with the coaches. Here's what we're doing for the curriculum. Here's, and I was blown, like, like it blew my doors off. It was, I take a lot of pride in the leadership and the systems and the culture that we've created here at my gym and my business. And his is better. He's done a better job than I have in terms of those things. It is incredible. So we started having monthly calls like Zoom or Google Meet calls once a month. And he also introduced me to some of the other facilities that were doing this program. It's called Redemption Road. Um, it's RF2, Redemption uh, Road Fitness Foundation. It's absolutely incredible what's happening there. So I eventually, after um, maybe, I'm not good with time, but six months to a year of these calls, went out and visited. And when I went to visit, um, went out and stayed with a former um, level one seminar staff person that has been involved in this organization. And then we met a former inmate who had actually gotten out of the prison system. And we drove about 90 minutes to the first facility, which was an all women's maximum security prison. And then from there, drove another hour or so to the the men's maximum security and then drove back. So I got upwards of three plus hours in the car with this former inmate who had been incarcerated for, I believe it was like 15 years, but had eventually been pardoned by the governor because he was such a model inmate. And what you start to realize is that's what this program is doing. This program is doing all of the things that we talk about in terms of you know, the greatest adaptation is between the ears. It makes you a better person. It makes you more compassionate. It makes you uh, more goal-oriented. It makes you your integrity go up. This is sort of like the proof in the pudding. So before I get into the actual experience and we can talk all about... So here's some things I didn't know. It, maximum security prisons, 95% of the inmates get out. So 95% of maximum security prisoners are getting out and being reintroduced into society. 50% of those relapse and are back in prison within three years. The system doesn't work. A few years ago, they started implementing programs. Before that, there was no pro, there's no rehabilitative process to prison at all. And just recently they started doing this and they started doing like, they have a Stephen Covey's seven habits program. They have AA, they have other substance abuse things and they have CrossFit. Of the people that have graduated through the program, only 10% have relapsed. So it's gone from 50% to 10%. Of those, 30 of them went through the full program. 30 of them went through and became coaches. Zero have gone back. So from a 50% to a zero. Now that's one sample size is hundreds, over 100, and one is 30. So we're not talking thousands, but it's not... It's not two or three. 30 is a pretty dense sample size. If you are, everyone that references studies that are done on nutrition, the sample sizes are usually less than that. So this is a pretty incredible 
the efficacy and what they're actually doing is incredible. And it just speaks to how this thing is more than just fitness. This thing is more than just, because what it looks like from the outside and what I was shy about, about in terms of getting involved, it looks like we're trying to get inmates stronger and fitter. <laughs> like let's give inmates more equipment and more facility and more free time to go to the gym. And it looks like that. That's what it would be if it was like go out in the yard and do some bench press stuff. But because of what this thing is and this community driven thing that's built on something bigger than thrusters, pull-ups, running and rowing, it's built on better people. It does it. First part was, I mentioned the really cool part of traveling with this guy. We can get back and talk to that guy in a second. But when I went there, I first went and um, talked with the women's facility for about 45 minutes and then led them through a 45 minute workout. They're awesome. They're sweet. You know, some have, you know, more tattoos than, you know, on their face than you would expect. But besides that, they're all, they're sweet. They're polite. They're courteous. They're curious. They're interested. They, they're, uh, they were amazing. And when we left, they gave me like arts and crafts that they created. They created this noble shoe that was actually opened up as a card that they all signed. It was like, oh my cool. God, really cool. They gave us a, a paper um, designed rogue plate that they did all the same with. They sent stuff home to give to my wife. It was such a caring, supportive, um, intellectually stimulating environment. It was really neat. It was really neat. That's such a lame word, but that's what it was. I, we, we walk out of that one. I was like, that was amazing. That was so cool. And then we walk, you know, we drive and we go to the maximum security prison. And I kind of gotten softened up by this point because of that experience that we just had an hour ago. And we walk in, we walk in right away. It's like the facility is like, there's way more barbed wire. The fences are way higher. You walk into a, a room a door, you know, you have to do all the clearance stuff. A door opens, you walk in, you're in a small room. The door closes behind you. You're in its closed in room. 30 seconds later, another door opens. It's like, you know, very like Star Wars-esque of like these <laughs> rooms opening and closing. So you have to, you walk across a 200 yard with a cement path with stones on the side to the actual prison. You walk inside. We had to pause and wait for a while because there's blood on the ground from a fight that just happened. It's like, okay, because we had to wait because we could clean up the, get the people out of there, which shortcut, by the way, I asked the guy on the way out, how often do fights happen in the prison? The guy that we were traveling with, his name was Nick and he's an amazing guy. Um, really amazing guy. They, had, they ended up, and I'll get to the fights in a second, but they ended up using him in part, in part of the onboarding process for new guards because he mm. was such a model. They wanted the guards to learn from him. So like Dave, the, the onboarding process was like a week and they spent the last two days with Nick, just asking him questions, all this stuff. And he was the guy like that everyone wishes that more people were like to the point where he got pardoned and let out. And he was the one that started this organization with Damien is who's the guy that I know. Anyway, I asked Nick in the car at home, like, so how many, how often are there fights? And he's like, often, I think your often's a lot different than my, than my often. My often would be like, if I saw a fight once a month, that would be often. Well, so I was like, well, what's often? He's like, well, every day. 
It's like, whoa, like every day he's like, yep. And they always happen in the mess hall where they have food and are always planned. It's kind of like a hockey fight, essentially. It seems like, and Nick said that it's all very racially driven. There's the black guys, the white guys, the, um, the Mexican guys, and so on. And everyone is in their group and you need to get permission from the head of the other group before you go and fight someone. Otherwise you start a race war. And he said that happened once in his 15 years when he was in there. And he said it was an utter hell. Like, and he explained it to me and it's like utter hell. It's like, you're just in this, it's a war at all times. So these fights happen in the mess hall on a daily basis. And they're all about, um, usually they happen because the person is scared and they're afraid that they're going to beat up by somebody else. So they beat up somebody else. It's a way to get out of a fight is to get into a fight. And I was like, well, aren't there guards there to break it up? And they go, yeah, they're there. I was like, what do you mean? It's like, well, in the mess hall, there's usually about two or 300. There's about, I think there's about 1500 guys in this prison and the, um, maybe it's 1200, but the mess hall goes about two to 300 people at a time and kind of like, just like there was like shifts at your high school and for the two to 300 prisoners, there would only be one to three guards at a time. And there's a fight every day. It's like, holy crap. So it's a lot of policing themselves. Other kind of cool, crazy part that you start to realize about how cool and impactful this organization is, this program is that they've instituted, is that the guards know how impactful it is. They know how there's basically three groups of people inside the prison. There's the bad people that are still doing the bad stuff that they did on the outside. They're still getting in fights. They're still killing people and they're still um, selling drugs. And there's a lot of drugs inside. Then there's the middle group who aren't looking for it, but you know, if their buddies in it, or if there's something going on, if like they might get wrapped up into it. And then there's the, essentially the good group. And everyone in the good group is a part of this CrossFit facility. Mm. That's if, if you're one of the good ones, you're in that thing. So the guards give those guys extra leeway. They were, you know, I was handed pictures and t-shirts and, you know, when I was leaving and there's no, I mean, there's no way that somebody else can make a t-shirt and, you know, make a, um, take a picture and develop a picture in the couple hours I was there. And the guards, it's gotten to the point where the guards are actually taking classes from one of the inmates. So it's not Damien. It's one of Damien's coaches is actually running a class for guards and that that role reversal because the normal prison system is like the the guards are there to um in you know punish them which is not really the case they're there to make sure that stuff doesn't go bad and then the judicial system punishes them but it's kind of gotten out of whack and 
that role reversal of like, not only do I trust that you're going to, but I'm going to put you in a leadership perspective and I'm going to listen to what you're saying is just astronomical. It's insane. It's incredible. Is there, is it the case that the, in, inside of the classes themselves, you're right. You talked about those, uh, basically those tribes who are always at some level at war with each other. Is yeah. it the case that inside of okay. those classes, there are yeah. people who are okay. mi- mixing? I don't know what else to call it other than like, right. So I forgot tribe. to, I forgot to finish my, my story essentially that like the, the women had kind of softened me up. Although when we were driving out of the women's facility, you know, the, the um, person I was staying with goes, you know, I, I had a conversation with this other woman that was in the class that was there. And she goes, she's having a really hard time. And Nick's like, why? What's going on? She goes, well, there's a new member that just joined the gym who's in there because she murdered her aunt. So, and she's like, and I, so if she was on the outside, she would murder her. It's like, that's how it works in their community. But here she has to be like supportive and cheer her on. And, and she's having a really hard time with that as anybody would. So I was like, oh, when I heard that, I was like, okay, like that's not the vibe I got when I was in there. And then when I walk into the maximum screen, when, after I pass by the blood and we've been pa- paused, I get in and, you know, it's not the, I think it was about 18 to 20 women in the facility that I talked to. It's about 150 guys in this huge room. They're all obviously in prison uniforms, except for the coaches. And there's 30 coaches running the, running the class, 30 coaches to about a hundred, 120 people actually doing the workout. They have two workouts going on at the same time. Then they have a third onboarding session going on with about 10 other guys in the, in the back room. When I walk in there, it's probably the most intimidated I've ever been in my life. I don't know. I guess you see the stuff on TV and then I went to the women's one and it kind of got softened me up. And then I was like, I don't know, maybe it'll be like that. And it was very, very intimidating. You know, they're talking to Nick, who is white. He's like, the most dangerous guys in the prison are, are the white supremacists. They're the ones, most of the guys have commit violence because of trying to establish turf or drugs or revenge or something. He's like, the white supremacists are the ones that like kill for fun, essentially. They just do it to do it. You know, when I walked in there, it was like so obvious who those guys were. It was they had the full neck tattoos up. The only thing that wasn't tattooed was their faces. Some of it was their entire faces. They all have the shaved heads, um, big loopy ears. And it was um, really scary. Then you get past the physical, you get past the first thing of like what these people look like. And you realize that those guys, those white supremacists are like high-fiving and like, you know, guys do it when they're like in a locker room, kind of like bro slapping, like they're kind of like, kind of like crawling on each other a little bit with the black guys, with the Mexicans, with the other white guys that obviously aren't like them. And everyone's doing, it's broken down those barriers that exist everywhere else in that side, that ecosystem. And it was just incredible to see that knowing why those guys are in there. 
like what they did to get in there and the belief system that they must have had that was so embedded into them before they got there. And talking to Nick afterwards, one of the big things that I realized was like, I was, you know, Nick, how did you get involved in this? And he's like, Damien. Damien came up to me and it was as simple as asking the questions of like, so what are you going to do? Like, what are you going to do in here? Basically, are you going to like just keep doing what you've been doing? Or are you going to make something of yourself? Because you can. And I know you can. And the real common thread amongst all these guys is the lack of a male role model in their lives that said something like that. And when they come into this thing, they, they get that. They get somebody that pulls on them and goes, or usually it happens before they even join, they go kind of pull on them and go like, yo, you done doing the stupid shit? Because you can do something different. And I believe that you can do something different. And that little bit of hope that one person gives them changes the trajectory of their lives. The number of people that I came, came up to me after... We did a work a workout and we did a little talk and we did a little presentation. And the number of people that came up to me that said, I can't believe this. I've been in here for all different numbers. I've been in here for seven years, for 15 years, for 22 years, for all but the last year, 18 months, six months. I've been trying to survive and I was still doing all this stuff. In the last year, I've lost 40 pounds and now I have purpose in my life. Like inside those walls, they now feel like they have purpose to their lives because they have whatever it is, this thing to look forward to, this brotherhood, this accountability system, whatever it might be that is truly impacting these guys. The number of physical transformations and the number of people I came up with was like, this thing, this, this is so much more than what I ever thought it was when I was looking at people do it from the outside. It was so moving to be a part of, to see that. It totally flipped the idea I had of like what prison is from, you know, originally I thought it was a place where you went to go get reformed. And then you realize that no one's kind of getting reformed because I shouldn't say no one, the vast majority aren't because their system's kind of broken. System broken being, by the way, up until recently, they were all privately owned. So they're incentivized to keep, they got paid. They, they Literally, it was a privately owned, these are, prisons are privately owned. And it's a huge business. It's a billion dollar business. The government contracts them and they pay them per inmate. So they're incentivized to keep them there. And then if they, it's called recidivism. I'm saying, recidivism. thank you. When they, when they commit a crime and come back into the system, that's great. They have another customer. So there's no incentive. So because of that, there was no programs put in place to help these, these people. And we, when, then when you hear that 95% are being reintroduced into society and 50% are coming back, it's like, well, the whole thing's broken. Recently, they've made it public. So it's the government now doing it. So there's no reason the government to pay themselves. It just costs taxpayer money now. So there's an incentive to actually do these programs and get these guys to be able to live productive lives outside 
of the facility. And then you start to see the impact that this program is having because Nick had also done the seven habits. He also, he went in because he was a meth addict and um, he basically robbed people and stole cars to pay for his drug addiction. When he went in, he was 300 pounds and within six months, he was 200 pounds. He lost a hundred pounds in six months being a part of this program and it became such a model that they used him to help train the actual guards, which actually every single time, every single time the new hire guards came in and I would talk to them, they always came in with this like, you know, bravado of, you know, tell us who the, tell us who the drug dealers are in here. Cause we're going to clean it up. Like you got like, and they're kind of like strong on him. Like, tell us who they are. And he would look at him and pause and just be like, it's you. And like, what are you talking about? He says, there's 10 of you here. In six months, there's only be five and three of you are going to be bringing, bringing drugs into the facility. That's how they get in here. And they're like, no way, no way. And he did this for years and years and years. And he's like, sure as anything. That's always the case. Uh, I have so many questions, but I think in, in an effort to begin to wrap this up, I want to, I just want to point something out that I think is really powerful, which is you started the story by highlighting how, um, you probably wouldn't have engaged with this conversation had it not been for Heather. And then the crux of the story, it was Damien challenged Nick to step up. And I think, um, I don't know why I'm getting emotional about that. I think we underestimate the power of role models and the likelihood that we could be that for somebody else. I know why I'm getting emotional. It's the most important thing in the world to me, to be that. And when I hear stories of it, I'm reminded that that's what I'm trying to do. And so thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you, Damien, for that. Like yeah. Damien, like what he's doing. And, you know, I think of it in terms of what we all can be doing. I think it's really important to take care of those closest to you. Yep. Like who are like those people be that for those people. You know, I, I've told this story before, but if you're trying to march a troop of Boy Scouts, you have 20 Boy Scouts up to the top of a mountain, you know, three hours away, and they all have 30 pound packs on their back. You know what's going to happen. There's going to be the three to five studs that take off. There's going to be the, you know, 10 to 12 people in the middle. And there's going to be the four or five laggards that have a really hard time. Well, to me, like once you, once you take care of the people closest to you, which I think is job number one, yep. and we, we talk about that a lot about, especially the role of a dad, protector and provider. The fastest way to get that Boy Scout group up to the top is not to keep encouraging the fastest. It's not to push the middle. The best way to do it is actually to take the fastest people, mm. the best, and put them, buddy them up with the people in the back. And that's what you're talking about. Yep. Because once that stud, whatever you want to call it, Boy Scout, gets partnered up with the person that needs the help, now they can help. 
And whether that's a matter of just physically, hey, let me take five pounds out of your pack, whether it's an encouraging word, whether it's by example, whether it's by a, a small hand on the low back that just kind of guides them up, that to me is take care of the closest and then look for that. Are you going to continue this relationship with Damien and Nick and, and this system or like what is... So this I, was actually, I mean, we're talking, it's, uh, we're in the end of August right now. Yeah. Um, and I went out and visited him in, uh, I believe it was May. Okay. Um, and we've talked every month since then as well. Thank you. Uh, thank you for the, uh, sharing all that. That was really cool. Um, all right. We're going to be back in a minute with a new shout out and a recommendation roundup. But first, a quick word of thanks to one of our sponsors this week, the Feel Good Lab. The Feel Good Lab is the brand giving the over-the-counter pain relief aisle a much-needed makeover. Head to thefeelgoodlab.com to learn more about pain relief that's good for you. Tell me about the Feel Good Lab, Ben. Yeah, so it's uh, there's a lot of products that are trying to do what this company's actually doing. You know, there's the companies like the 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 creams that you put on that like essentially, but. What they're full of, what they're actually doing is the active ingredient is menthol. It's a numbing agent. That's all it's doing. It's, it numbs the body part, which can be detrimental, actually. What the Feel Good Lab does instead is it has this whole list of natural ingredients from arnica to glucosamine to creatine to aloe to all these cool uh, turmeric to all these natural anti-inflammatory ingredients. And that's what you're putting on the troubled area. It has the tiniest bit of menthol just so you get that nice cooling sensation, that cool f- feeling, but it's not the other one that's like, oh my gosh, like my back is on fire. Or my Like that, that feeling that you would normally get. This is the thing that actually does what we're trying to get it to do, which gets you to feel good in the long term. We've talked forever about if you have a rock in your shoe that's causing a, a a really big sore, you could take an Advil, right? But the rock is still in your shoe. Like it's it, you're not going to heal it. You gotta you gotta take the rock out of your shoe. So if you put this numbing agent on you, it feels better, but you're not healing it. We need to heal the area, and that's what this does. So. Um, I've been using it. I've been using it with my athletes for uh, years, uh, probably three or four years since before the pandemic. So that's three years now. Yep. Love it. All right. From arthritis and backache to post-marathon recovery, the Feel Good Lab combines dozens of natural ingredients to get you back to feeling your best. As they say, fight pain with wellness. Go to thefeelgoodlab.com. Use the code BEN to get 15% off your first order. Again, that's thefeelgoodlab.com. Dot com. Let us jump into a shout out. This is from Dan on Instagram. Dan says, I just want to say thank you to what uh, for what you and Ben continue to produce on Chasing Excellence. I'm a 35 year old uh, husband, father of three, four, two and five months old CrossFitter and business leader. Every episode, there's at least one thing that really hits home for me in one of the main character uh, categories of my life. This past week was another example when you and Ben discussed staying centered and not being influenced by the external circumstances. This speaks to me uh, as in the past 12 months, my company went through a restructuring and I took on a much larger role at time that role at times that role and the external factors around it impacted other areas of my life. And it was hard for me to stay centered. Work uh, has balanced out much more in recent months and now it uh, is 
and is now in that equilibrium state. So thank you. And Ben, again, your episodes are something I look forward to weekly and have had a very positive impact on my life. So thank you, Dan. Thank you, Dan. Stay centered, bro. All right, I'll cool down as we often do, or at least we try to do often. Uh, a recommendation roundup, just some things that maybe you and I have been enjoying, doing, partaking in, reading, listening to, et cetera, that we have uh, liked and wanted to share. I'll let you go first. Whenever these come up, I feel like I don't do anything because I'm always like, what are, all right. Uh, what have but I one, been doing? Yeah, or I just do the same thing, or I think I read a lot of books and I actually don't. I read the same book. <laughs> which I'm doing right now. I'm reading the same book over again. But okay, anyway, tell uh, us which book? What's the, what is the reread? Uh, it's Trillion Dollar Coach. Mm. Have you read it? Yep, got it on my shelf. Yeah, yep. yeah. I just need a dose of. I, I need a, a. I needed a little bit of a role model um, for yep. right now, and just needed yep. like a, a a north star to kind of like, what would he do type thing. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna blank on his name, but the the book is about a, a coach, Bill Silicon Campbell. Valley coach. Yeah, thank you. Uh, who is kind of like the CEO whisperer, especially in the yeah. early days of, of a lot of the tech companies. So yeah. anyways, cool book. But I'm rereading it, so it's like not new. But anyway, all right. So the the actual new thing I came across, which I really like, is it's on Netflix. Um, it's called Quarterback. I heard about this, yeah. It's cool. So they follow three quarterbacks. They follow Mahomes, which is awesome. It's last season. He won the Super Bowl. They follow Kirk Cousins, who had a great season with Minnesota, um, who I never really liked. But through this, I I like him a lot. A lot. He's, it's really cool. And then uh, Marcus Mariota, who um, came out of Oregon, Heisman Trophy winner, but he's kind of like a journeyman. He's been the backup. He's But he started the season as a starter, and then he gets put relegated to a backup again. So it's kind of this – multi-layered thing and it shows their training it shows their mindset shows how they watch film and study for games it shows their family life it shows them answering fans email it's like it really pulls back the curtain um in a cool way and lets you into everything from the huddle to the practices to um the training room and it's a i'm a sucker for things like that that when they're done well right um you said it was was it a series or is like yeah it's a series no it's a series yeah Got it. So it's uh, uh oh, I don't even know. I'm not done with it yet, but I'm at the end of the season. So um, end of the, the the season, not the playoffs. So not the series. Um, but uh, and I think there's. I'm guessing it feels like there's two or three more episodes. And I think I've watched four or five of them. It's interesting because that's such an. It seems to be. It's not new, but it seems to be a, a model that a lot of sports are looking at and totally. playing with right because there's an i know i haven't i don't watch many of these things but i know there was like an uh, uh, um, a golf one i think full you mentioned swing. it yep full swing that, that's this i one. love these things yeah yeah f1 really interesting. there's a um yeah, drive to survive for yeah. f1 what, yep. and what's interesting about that is uh, is two things really same different sides of the same coin which is i think crossfit did a really good jo- job of that and that's in many ways its own version why CrossFit and the CrossFit Games grew as quickly and as well as it did. It was those. There was a. It was the, that early access we had to professional athletes before professional athletes realized that there was value in showing their full self in this kind of way. But on the other side of it is, I, I think it might also be the thing that's been lacking in the last few years of the CrossFit Games is something like this that allows fans to get more than just like game day experience of the event, right? I love the games documentaries, every single one. I'll watch them. I'll watch them twice. 
But there's something I think about what you're saying about like, I'm going to watch this person train for a whole year. I'm going to see where they struggle. I'm going to see how they prepare. I'm going to see how they eat, et cetera. That I think it all it does for on the fan perspective is kind of to your point. It's like, I didn't like him before, but now I do. And now that I do like him more, I'm probably going to watch that game if it shows up. Right. Which is ultimately, obviously the point, which, you know, if nobody's watching the sport, the sport doesn't grow, it doesn't go. And so there's something in there, I think, that CrossFit as a sport needs to figure out how to unlock um, in the way that they used to. They used to be such a powerful storytelling brand. And I just think for various reasons, not so much anymore. Yeah, I would say that they were uh, they were second. I think the first was the UFC with the Ultimate Fighter. The Ultimate Fighter put all these guys in a house and um, did a reality. It was a true reality show. But that was even different than what this is. But that was like the first. And then uh, CrossFit did Road to the Games. They did the documentaries, um, which were awesome. I, I totally agree. And as you said that, you know, I had no interest in watching Kurt Cousins. Like I would go right, but now I'm, I'm, I'm interested in him. He's, it's, it's a, he's a really interesting character. I'm totally biased. I, you just reminded me, I did the, I produced the first road to the games with Austin and James. No, that was something yeah. else, but I, I produced yeah. basically the first one of those. And so obviously I'm, I like default to liking those things. Of course. Um, okay. So I'll go quick. Cause we're running long here. So my recommendation, do you know what Substack is? Yep. Have you come across that? Okay, so Substack is a platform that writers can use to uh, create and ultimately kind of sell newsletters. Um, and I found it to be like a wonderful source of online reading where social media really is not a wonderful source of online reading. It's a source of a lot of noise. And so I just wanted to give some recommendations of the Substacks that I've been enjoying. Um, I've got a handful, but I'll just give a couple. Uh, number one, After Babel, which is by Jonathan Haidt. He writes a lot about um, the role of technology uh, and its impact on especially kids um, and youth. Uh, really, really interesting stuff. Another one called Anti-Mimetic by Luke Burgess, which is based on or continuing the work of a book that I've recommended here before called Wanting, which is all around this idea of uh, mimetic desire, which is a theory of how we learn to want what we want. Um, another one is called Of Boys and Men by Richard Reeves. Richard Reeves is an author. He wrote a book by that same name, I believe. Um, all about the struggles of uh, boys and men in modern society. Mm. And then the last one I'll give is called Range, uh, Range Widely by David Epstein. He he wrote, um, um, uh, what is that? Oh, God, I'm blanking on is that. Is it Range? Oh, Range, Range. Yes, yeah. it's called Range. I was trying yeah. I had generalist in my head, but it was yeah. that book about yeah. the, the uh, difference between being a specialist and a generalist, which I know yeah. we've talked about in, in you know episodes past. So just some things to start with, but Substack is an awesome place to find really good writers doing really good work. So I highly recommend folks check it out. Very cool. Oh my man, we're going to wrap it up there. Thank you everybody out there for listening. Thank you for your questions. Find me on Instagram, PS Cummings, drop me a DM. We will get it into a future episode. If you are not yet subscribed, wherever you are listening or watching, please do so you do not miss another episode. Speaking of Ben and I will be back next week for another episode of Chasing Excellence.